From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch, finally, after nearly 80 documented attacks on pro-life organizations since the leak of the Dobbs decision, the Biden Department of Justice has made the first arrest. A federal grand jury indicted two Florida residents for multiple attacks. This, frankly, is good to see if it is an indication that the Justice Department will start upholding the law in a fair, non-biased way. We're going to talk about it. And keeping to a commitment he made to conservative Republicans, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced the appointment of three strong conservatives to the House Rules Committee. Now, why does this matter? Well, we're going to find out when we talk with one of them. Texas Congressman Jim Roy joins me in just a moment. And we talked about this yesterday. The task force has been working tirelessly to protect access to reproductive care. They are working cooperatively to monitor state laws and enforcement actions to ensure that states do not infringe on federal protections of reproductive rights. The task force is also evaluating appropriate actions in response to those laws. That was Attorney General Mary Garland on Monday threatening the states, threatening the states if they exercise the rights the Supreme Court acknowledged was theirs all along to protect human life. We're actually going to talk with one of those that uh, is protecting the right to life and the laws of their state, Attorney General of Ohio Dave Yost. We're going to get his take on Mr. Garland's threat. And the Democratic leadership was, again, talking about abortion yesterday, so I'm going to talk about it, too. What should have been the celebration of the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, America mourned instead. America mourned. Sunday, which should have been a day of celebration, was a day of mourning. Mourning because they could no longer take the lives of innocent unborn children? That was Democratic Senate leader Chuck Schumer. Tells you a lot about their priorities. And the Biden administration not responding very well to Speaker Kevin McCarthy's announcement that he will visit Taiwan. Our concern is that in the aftermath of Speaker Pelosi's visit, the PRC used that as a pretext uh, to accelerate what it had already been doing, trying to create a new normal, trying to undermine the status quo uh, that, uh, far from undermine, we seek to preserve. That continues to be our uh, concern going forward. That was State Department spokesman Ned Price yesterday. We're going to talk about that trip and whether or not the Biden administration is keeping a check on China's growing influence in Latin America. Asian expert Gordon Chang joins me later here on Washington Watch. And Congressman Mike Johnson also joins me to talk about next Wednesday's National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance that Dr. Jim Garlow and I are hosting at the Museum of the Bible. Mike, along with Speaker McCarthy, Leader Scalise, and others, will be a part of that prayer event. I'll tell you how you can be a part of it as well. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and visit. Lots of things there for you at TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today comes from Jeremiah. For this, clothe yourselves with sackcloth, lament, and wail. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. Once again, Jeremiah is told to proclaim the coming judgment of God. But but even in the midst of the unfolding judgment of God, we see God's unending mercy and his desire not to destroy, but to restore. But here's what's required. Lament. Realize what is happening. They needed to realize they had a problem, a big problem. This was not just a spike in violence or another new record crime wave. This was the judgment of God coming upon them because of their sin. 
but they were distracted and deceived, thinking it would never happen. They had grown calloused and indifferent to the spiritual and cultural decline of their nation. God said, take notice, lament, repent, and be saved. A message for every generation. You can find out more about our Bible reading plan. Go to frc.org slash Bible. And again, don't miss a chance to get a digital copy of my new book, Jeremiah, Courage in a Cancel Culture. This is a 40-day study guide which unpacks lessons from the prophet's bold stand for truth in the face of the cancel culture of his day. Simply text Jeremiah to 67742. That's Jeremiah to 67742 to get your own digital copy. Well, after months of dragging their feet on responding to the attacks on pregnancy resource centers, federal agents indicted, a, uh, arrested a Florida duo yesterday for attacks on multiple pro-life facilities over a three-month period. Now the Biden administration was uh, slow to respond to the many attacks on these centers, despite pressure from pro-life members of Congress and outside advocacy groups. This, I believe, is the result of the new Republican majority in the House saying this is a priority for us. Joining us now to discuss this and much more is Congressman Chip Roy. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee and now the House Rules Committee as well. He represents the 21st District of the Lone Star State. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Great to be on, as always, Tony. And, uh, yeah, happy to be on Judiciary. Also, the Weaponization Subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee and, uh, and Rules. That's right. That one was just announced. Uh, two very significant committees, quite frankly. Uh, that, along with uh, House Oversight and Accountability, those three committees, I think, are going to uh, get most of the attention in the 118th Congress. Let's talk about, first, the Justice Department, finally, the FBI making arrest after dragging their feet for months. My take on this, Chip, it wouldn't have happened had the Republicans not gained the majority in the House and said this is a priority, even passing a resolution last week. Yeah, I certainly think that's part of it. Uh, you know, we had 26 pro-life individuals who were charged last year in 22 uh, for what, you know, uh, violations of the FACE Act uh, of varying degrees. Uh, nobody, uh, kind of from the other perspective, obviously Republicans uh, took over uh, when our elections in November. But importantly, we had a very open and public uh, debate about the speaker's race, about why that was important. And one of the many things we were debating, you know, from rule changes and, and making sure committees were ideologically representative, was having a really strong and robust weaponization committee. And we do. It'll be under Jim Jordan. It's got a broader jurisdiction. It's got the ability to have more budget and staff and be able to do the things it needs to do to target the FBI, as well as many other agencies, for what they're doing with respect to their targeting of the American people and the weaponization of the DOJ against the American people. This is one example. Now, I would say that while we're watching today, Mark Halk on trial, uh, you know, it had 25 people in a SWAT team come send on his family in Pennsylvania because he stood up to defend his son outside of an abortion clinic. Or you've got, uh, what, Father Fidelis, who uh, yesterday was facing charges for civil disobedience. Um, this has been an ongoing thing, but I would happily uh, just get the DOJ out of this business and get rid of the FACE Act so that they weren't engaged down in Florida with these two who spray painted, uh, you know, uh, on, on uh, pregnancy centers, this problem they're, they're being charged with. Um, I'd be happy to get rid of it all. Uh, but it's nice to see it being equally applied. But uh, we got to ask questions why we can't just leave this to Governor DeSantis and the people of the state to figure out. 
True. The federal government has interjected itself. And I'm going to talk next uh, in the next segment with the attorney general of Ohio responding to Mary Garland saying that they're going to they're going to watch the states very carefully in case they advance pro-life legislation. You mentioned the very public debate over the speaker's race. And you and I have talked about that, talked with many members. I commend you for your leadership in that. I think the outcome was tremendous. Uh, We are moving the House of Representatives back to being the people's house, giving them a voice through their elected representatives. And key to that was the Rules Committee. And you've gone into that buzzsaw many times with measures that have been blocked from a vote. You now will be on the Rules Committee. Why is that important? Tell tell, Tell our listeners and viewers why that's important. Well, first of all, this is nothing new. If you go back to uh, the 1920s, the last time we had such a kind of drawn-out debate over the Speaker, the end result was, in fact, a shift in power with respect to the Rules Committee. So this was one of the outcomes this year. By getting three of us on there who are kind of representing a little bit more the right side of the conference, uh, we're going to be able to have more voice about what gets to the floor. So for your listeners out there, the Rules Committee is kind of the filter and funnel by which bills get from the committee to the floor of the House. Uh, They set the rules for debate. They decide what really gets to the floor in the end. And so having strong representation on the Rules Committee is really important. So we'll have good debates there. I want there to be more of an open process generally. That doesn't mean all rules should be open. Let me be very clear to my Democratic colleagues. But we should have certainly on appropriations bills, um, other big bills, maybe like Ukraine. Let's have a full debate on the floor and kind of see where that goes. There'll be other targeted bills that we're not going to just give the Democrats a baseball bat to hit us with uh, and waste time with the American people. We'll be able to decide what we need to do to advance a solid conservative agenda, give the people's representatives their voice back, and make sure that we're actually driving an agenda that the American people want. And that's the, that's the goal. What will be the overall balance of the, uh, the committee? Yeah, it's, it's traditionally, or at least in recent years, it's a nine to four Republican to Democrat 13-member committee. Uh, Tom Cole's the chairman, and then there's, you know, eight more of us. Uh, you know, Ralph Norman and myself are, are in the House Freedom Caucus. Thomas Massey joins us there, who we call kind of Freedom Caucus adjacent. Um, but we'll be in there, uh, you know, be able to mix it up a little bit. And with, with our other colleagues, we've, we've got, uh, you know, five other great colleagues that are joining the, the chairman and the three of us. And we'll, we'll, we'll get in there and, and uh, mix it up and make sure that we're trying to get the right stuff down to the floor and have a good debate and rules committee. Talking about uh, mixing it up, uh, Chip, there is some controversy surrounding, or at least some of your Republican colleagues do not like a bill that you've introduced that would secure our southern border. What's going on there? So H.R. 29 is a bill that I introduced last Congress. It's H.R. 7772. It's the Border Safety and Security Act. That bill does one simple thing, Tony. It just ensures that we enforce existing law. It does nothing more, nothing less. It says that we will detain those who come into our country who, uh, who might be uh, here illegally without papers, maybe they're seeking asylum, whatever they're trying to do. Maybe they just want a better way of life and a job. But the whole point is, under our law, we're supposed to detain and then adjudicate whatever claim they're making. Uh, we're not doing that. This administration is taking people and releasing them. And as a result, the numbers have gone up and up and up and up. In December, 251,000 people. That doesn't count the 80,000 or so gotaways. That doesn't count the multiple thousands of pounds of fentanyl that poured into our country. And all during this time, the least compassionate thing you can do, the least Christian thing that you can do is continue to allow cartels to abuse little girls in stash houses, use, put them into the sex trafficking trade, charge them $10,000 to come into the United States to run up through a dangerous 
you know, journey that the cartels control. Instead, as a compassionate country, as Christians, we should be saying the rule of law matters. We're going to secure our border. We're going to detain every human being who comes here. We'll, we'll detain you safely. We'll make a determination if you have an asylum claim, but under our law, you will be detained. If you do not have a legitimate asylum claim, we will be returning you to your country. If you do that, the flow stops down to a manageable trickle of people who have an actual legitimate claim of fear, of a credible fear of persecution for one's religious or political beliefs. We can do that. I know you share, we share a faith. Um, that's what we should do as compassionate people, but it is the opposite of compassion, the opposite of Christ-like love to allow these people to be abused under the thumb of cartel. Yeah, so it's always amazing to me how people use that to advocate for lawlessness, which in the end is the greatest abuse of human uh, human yep. beings and, human, and, and violation of human rights. So uh, very quickly, I understand that uh, originally this was going to be fast track under an agreement with the speaker. It now looks like it's going to go back to the, the committee. Yeah, I'm not sure about that yet. We're having a continued debate. There's been some misinformation out there about the bill, but uh, it was not brought to the floor under agreement with the speaker. Right? The agreement we reached with the speaker was that the Texas border plan, which is comprehensive and includes policy changes like this one, border construction, wall construction, ICE empowerment, going after cartels. We got an agreement that by late this summer, we would have moved the Texas border plan and its pieces through. But H.R. 29 was put on the floor by your friend and mine, Steve Scalise from Louisiana, who thought this was a really good uh, unifying leg piece of legislation. You know what? He's right. Yeah. Well over 210 of our colleagues in the Republican conference very much support it. There are a handful raising questions. I'm answering their questions. I'm happy to meet with any of them anywhere, anytime. I'll debate any of them anywhere, anytime. And we'll try to get that through All soon. Right. If it has to go to committee, great. If not, we'll get we it We got to leave it there, Chip, but we'll follow it. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back after this. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. 
To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and it's good to have you with us. As we mentioned, Attorney General Mary Garland on Monday announced that the Department of Justice plans to insert itself into the state's matters when it comes to abortion. Now, this is exactly what we've come to expect from the Biden administration and its obsession with abortion. But it also serves as a warning to the growing number of states with strong pro-life legislation. In fact, the Biden administration has a task force, what they call reproductive freedom. Basically, it is the uh, the, 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 the task force to make sure that uh, abortion goes forward. And this was the associate attorney general, Vanita Gupta, and her comments on Monday about what this task force is focused on. Clip four, please. We established this task force as a whole of department effort to closely scrutinize these new complex and widespread threats to reproductive health for any infringements on federal protections. By design, the task force model allows the department to be coordinated and strategic in its response to these threats. So who's protecting the rights of the states, the rights of the unborn, and the rights of people to be self-governing? Well, join me now to discuss this, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost. General Yost, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. It's good to see you. Before we get to the attorney general's comments about watching you, state of Ohio and other states, you led a letter last summer to the DOJ encouraging them to investigate the unprecedented attacks on churches and pregnancy resource centers. I want to get your reaction to them finally, finally, after seven months, finally making at least two arrests. Well, obviously, we're glad to see the laws enforced. Uh, That's what law enforcement's supposed to do. Uh, It's awfully late, and based on the reports I've heard, um, it's not very much. But uh, hopefully this is a sign of good faith uh, and a first step. I agree. I do hope it's a first step, and we'll see more aggressive defending of the rights of these care pregnancy centers that are out there serving women across the nation now, the, the Attorney General of the United States is saying, look, I'm watching you. I'm watching the states. Ohio is one of those states that's leading out on the sanctity of human life. What's your reaction to the threats coming from the Department of Justice? Well, unfortunately, we've seen this kind of political theater from the Garland DOJ before. 
Uh, and uh, well, I, I'll be candid here in Ohio. I don't have a whole of department task force. Uh, I got a couple of young lawyers with a lot of courage in their hearts. But uh, if he wants to come to court, we're ready. Uh, candidly, um, their record against the states and their overreaching federal government is uh, not terribly good to this point. One of the areas that they're focusing on is the chemical abortions. I mean, we've seen them, the FDA. I mean, this is the whole of government approach that uh, Gupta talked about. They've got the FDA now trying to get uh, CVS and Walgreens into the abortion business. They're using the Postal Service to send these abortion pills. I mean, they're sending them into your state of Ohio. What can the state of Ohio do? Well, first of all, um, I think anybody that is thinking about um, operating in that manner needs to look very carefully. Um, up until very recently, everybody thought that was an illegal use of the, uh, the Postal Service. Uh, now, the DOJ did a homegrown Office of the Legal Counsel uh, memorandum saying that, oh, no, hey, it's OK. Uh, and here's a legal rationale for how you can work around it. Well, an OLC opinion is not legally binding on anything. It's not legally binding on subsequent administrations. Uh, and even if, Merrick, even if Merrick Garland intends to follow that for the next two years, um, a new attorney general is perfectly free to disregard that and enforce the law as it's actually written. Beyond that, um, a number of states have provisions in their law that require uh, a physician to personally deliver uh, the to be present uh, when that uh, very powerful drug is given and administered. Um, that is a matter within the state's prerogative to regulate internally the practice of medicine. Uh, candidly, the uh, federal government shouldn't be able to uh, impact that. So uh, I, I think that uh, they're asking for trouble if they actually try to go through with uh, some of these things that they're talking about. But as I started off by saying, I think a lot of this is rhetoric that's designed to reassure their base after the Dobbs decision that they're still taking it seriously. It, but is it also designed to intimidate states as well? I mean, it, 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 several Republican attorneys general um, are, are not intimidated, but some, you know, may, maybe some are. Is, is there an element of that in this? I, you're being kind not to use the word bullying. Uh, but when the federal government, with its majesty and vast resources, threatens to beat up a state for actually daring to believe that it has some power that's independent of the federal government, uh, it's tough to read it another way. Um, all I can tell you is in Ohio, and I know many of my colleagues in uh, other states, uh, we're prepared to fight back if they want to have a fight. And once again, whether we're talking about that silly uh, eviction moratorium, whether we're talking about the vaccine mandate, the tax mandate, uh, on and on and on, as this administration has illegally and unconstitutionally overreached executive power, we've met them in court and they lose. Yeah, and you've proven that to be the case, uh, General Yost. 
Always great to see you on the program. Thanks for fighting for the rights of the, not only those in Ohio, but the influence filters into other states as well. Always good to see you. Good to see you, sir. This is why the state elected officials are so important. I mean, this is the, the brilliance of our founding fathers of creating a federalist system where you've got a federal government and then you have 50 states and each of them elect their leaders. And those leaders have the right to push back on the unconstitutional overreach of the federal government. And so that's why you, you need strong men and women of conviction who will fight for what is right and what is true. All right, coming up next, next week on Wednesday, we will have the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. Coming up next, Congressman Mike Johnson, who's uh, helping Dr. Garlow and I organize this, will join us to talk about it. And I'll let you know how you can be a part of it, even if you can't come to Washington, D.C. So stick around. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And again, if you'd like to get a digital copy of my new book, Jeremiah, it's a 40-day study guide of uh, Jeremiah as he faced the cancel culture of his day. Simply text Jeremiah to 67742. That's 67742, Jeremiah. All right, we've, uh, speaking of the cancel culture and what's happening in the world around us, we've talked many times about the growing sense of urgency that our nation is in trouble because we've turned our back on God. 
and we must repent. Now, I know that sounds foreign in the 21st century, but it's true. God hasn't changed, and we still, as as human beings, as we live in a fallen world, when we fall short of what God has uh, designed for us and what he expects for us as nations, as individuals, we need to turn back to him. And that's, I think, where we are today. When you see all the problems, whether it's the crime, whether it's the economy, whether it's the weather, what, all of this. I know people will mock at that, but it's if you believe the Bible, it's right there. So next Wednesday, we uh, actually, Dr. Jim Garlow and I, working with some others, are organizing a national gathering for prayer and repentance. It'll be at the Museum of the Bible. And one of those helping us organize this is Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson. He represents not only uh, the northern part of Louisiana, but he serves on the House Judiciary Committee, the House Armed Services Committee. And uh, he's on uh, the new Weaponization Committee, looking at what government is doing to uh, really infringe upon the rights and freedoms of Americans. Mike, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, it's always a uh, great blessing to be with you. Well, I appreciate you stepping uh, out of some meetings, and I was really busy this week on on the Hill. But why is the urgency so strong for a national gathering for prayer and repentance? Well, we're in perilous times as a nation. We're in unprecedented times, really. The challenges we face now are in, in so many ways, unlike challenges that, that any previous generation of Americans have faced. And so we look at that very soberly. We understand uh, that, that how uh, a greater challenge this is really for the future of our republic, that the survival of our republic. And so it's hard to overstate the necessity of turning to God. Uh, you know, the, the founders of our country did that. Um, in all of the epochs of uh, history and in our country over the last 246-plus years, um, there, were, there, there have been times of great challenge before. And, and, and when those times arose, the leaders of the nation went to God in prayer. They got on their knees, and they repented, and they asked for his guidance and, and his direction and his wisdom. And we need to do that today desperately. And I, I, I want to encourage your listeners, I think they would be encouraged to know, that there are many members here in the United States Congress who recognize that and understand that this is our responsibility and, and something we desperately need to do. Yeah, that recognition is widespread. In fact, uh, next Wednesday we'll be joined by Speaker Kevin McCarthy, uh, the mm-hmm. majority leader. Steve Scalise will be there along with uh, many other members of Congress and Christian leaders from across the nation gathering to pray. This is, uh, this is specifically to pray uh, for repentance, pray in a sense of repentance, but also for revival, that our nation would be revived. What is your hope for this event to see the outcome of? Well, I, you know, first of all, I, I think it'll be a time of um, of unity. Uh, I, I, I reminded all of the House Republicans met this morning in our weekly conference meeting, and um, I announced from the from the podium that the reminder about the date of this event and and the urgent need for it and i just got a, a lot of uh very positive feedback agreement uh people in the room know that this is true they sense it and we need to do this of course we, we're all praying individually we we pray often in small groups there are bible studies on capitol hill there are 
uh, is a prayer caucus. We meet regularly and pray for the country. But there, there's something really powerful that happens when we, all, you know, many of us, large numbers of us, join together, and with other uh, Christian leaders and and uh, the leaders of ministries and and, and other intercessory prayer warriors, you know, uh, having that time together where we can do it corporately is really, really important among the fellowship of believers. And I think that that will be a unifying moment. I think it will help set the tone for this new Congress. We are here, in, in a literal sense, making history every day. We are charting the future course and the future of this country, and the importance of this cannot be overstated. If, if um, you know, if, if a house is divided, it cannot stand. And uh, and we labor in vain if the Lord is not building the house. And so we've got to recognize that. We do it together. We acknowledge that amongst one another and to the Lord himself. And I think it'll be a great blessing for everybody involved. And, folks, you can find out more about it. You can go to TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over, or PrayDC, PrayDC.org. And uh, those ways that you, even if you can't come to Washington, D.C., you can be a part of this event. And very quickly, Mike, I know we're just about out of time, but... You talked about unity. We saw this in the House and among the Republicans after the uh, really battle, I'll say, over the Speaker's election. Uh, there was a unity that came in after members prayed. You and I talked about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. We, we had a, a, a small group uh, among those who pray regularly, and we met on the House floor in the well, as we say, down in the center of the floor in the morning hours before the the. the I think day three or day four, actually day four of that of that long session began, and that was exactly what our prayer was: that, that God would intervene in, in our affairs and and unify the house and and get us to the next step and next level. And of course, that's what happened. So you know, it still works, Tony. Prayer it does. Still works. It does. And we're going to be praying next Wednesday. And uh, Mike, uh, thanks for joining us today. Look forward to seeing you at the Museum of the Bible next Wednesday morning, bright and early. You too, brother. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Coming up. Speaker McCarthy is going to Taiwan, and the Biden administration in China, I'm not too happy about it. Gordon Chang joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. 
Again, just text STAN to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Okay, Uh, I, I talked about this at the top of the program. And as long as the Democrats want to talk about taking the lives of unborn babies... And how, I mean, they're so brazen about it. I mean, as I mentioned yesterday, the president issuing a proclamation on Sunday mourning the demise of Roe v. Wade, saying how it was wrongfully decided, the court case, going after the court. Well, yesterday, Democrats on Capitol Hill, led in part by the Democrat leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, you know, did the same thing. I mean, it's one thing to support the policy, which I think is wrong, but it is, uh, it, it's, I don't know, it, it, is, it is inexplicable how committed they are and devoted they are, and their identity is wrapped up in abortion, in the taking the, li- taking the lives of unborn babies. It, it, it's It's frightening. Frankly, but here I want to play the full clip of uh, a good portion of the clip of Senator Schumer yesterday, uh, marking the 50th anniversary of Roe. Clip seven. What should have been the celebration of the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, America mourned instead. America mourned. We mourned the fact that millions of women and girls now have fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers. We mourned the loss of individual freedom. We mourn the loss of a woman's right to choose. So on Saturday, Sunday, which should have been a day of celebration, was a day of mourning. I mean, how how twisted can your mind be that you... Sunday should have been a day that we celebrated the ability to take the lives of unborn children. Instead, we mourn. I mean, think of all those mothers who are not mothers, who are not here to be mothers. Or all of the mothers who didn't have, whose babies were aborted, and their mothers will not be grandmothers. Uh, it, it is, uh, again, 
It just shows how devoted the Democratic Party is to abortion. And there is a clear, clear contrast between the two parties on this issue in particular, on other issues, but this one certainly in particular. This administration is um, unbelievable when it comes to abortion. I want to play another one of Schumer's clips. I just, I love to let him talk because it just shows how bad the Democrats are. Clip number eight. Last year, after decades of plotting and insidious efforts, the MAGA Supreme Court stripped millions of women of the right to abortion, putting the power to make personal health care decisions firmly in the hands of MAGA extreme Republicans. The court, what it did is it corrected a decision by the Supreme Court 19, in 1973 that created a right out of thin air and denied a constitutional right to millions, the millions who were aborted, the right to life. That, by the way, the as we talked about yesterday, the vice president can't quite get the Declaration of Independence straight, that the fact that we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, that among them are life, she can't figure that one out, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Folks, you got to call this stuff out. This is dangerous when you're celebrating a culture of death. And that's what the Democratic leadership led by the president of the United States is doing. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous spiritually. It's dangerous politically. It's dangerous culturally. It is dangerous on many fronts. And we need to be praying about it, as we were talking earlier with Congressman Mike Johnson. So I invite you to join us next Wednesday for our national gathering for prayer and repentance. This is certainly one of those areas. And the court did repent. The court changed its mind on abortion. Now we've got to walk this out and do the works of repentance, rebuilding a culture of life in this country. Okay, as I said, as long as they keep talking about it, I'm going to talk about it too. So if they want to keep talking about it, we'll keep talking about it right here on Washington Watch. And I'm going to encourage Republicans. In fact, I'm scheduled to speak at the uh, winter conference of the Republican National Committee tomorrow, and I'm going to be talking about it there and encouraging them to talk about it. Democrats are going to talk about it. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about being about celebrating life. Okay, I'm going to move on. Last year, then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made international waves by traveling to Taiwan, becoming the highest ranking American official in decades to visit the island. Now, her trip angered the Chinese Communist Party, um, which nobody should really care about, but it made them mad, as, uh, as well as the members of the Biden administration. And now, according to reports, her successor, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, is expected to travel to Taiwan in uh, the not-too-distant future. What will he learn from uh, the trip, and how can we expect China to respond? Well, we know how the administration's responding. They're not happy about it. Well, join me now to, uh, to talk about this and more. Gordon Chang, he is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. You can follow him on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. Your reaction to House Speaker McCarthy's announced trip to Taiwan? This is a great thing. You know, I don't think it's so much that McCarthy will learn anything. The most important thing is the symbolism. Symbolism is important to insecure communist regimes. It should be important to us. And when he goes there, he is announcing America's support for Taiwan. And I think that it's not just every speaker who should go. 
I believe that uh, the president of the United States should go because that would be another signal to Beijing that the U.S. will defend freedom and democracy and our own interests by defending Taiwan. Well, what do you make of the Biden administration's reaction saying, well, this is not uh, this is not a good thing that it, it creates waves. Uh, it, it could lead to problems. We're, we're going to have problems regardless. And these problems are not because of us. It's because of Chinese aggression. So we should stop blaming victims. And so when we have the Biden administration cowering, which is what they did when um, Nancy Pelosi indicated that she was going to go to Taiwan, but before she formally announced we had the president of the United States saying it wasn't a good idea. Basically, he slept it off on the Pentagon saying, well, the Pentagon thinks that this might be dangerous. Well, when you do that, you open the door to more Chinese criticism. So the president of the United States made this a bigger deal than it had to be. And it showed Beijing that it can intimidate the yeah. Oval Office. But, you know, fortunately, it did not intimidate Speaker Pelosi. Yeah, I, I give her credit for taking uh, taking that trip. You know, you can't hard. You can hardly move and not run into something China is doing. Uh, when you look, you actually wrote a. You have a new column in Newsweek titled "Latin America is now China's backyard." We're looking at China through economic activity, really moving in a significant way. You know, right south of us. This is quite. Um, I would say, alarming, with what. Uh, is happening there. Tell us about it. Yeah, China is more influential in Latin America and the Caribbean than we are. And it's not just because of trade, um, but it's also because of China's subversive activities. But the big story here is not so much China. It, the story is that a series of American presidents have just not paid attention to countries that are closest to us. And so we created this vacuum. You know, we had uh, President Kennedy with the Alliance for Progress, which was a good sentiment, but it wasn't quite successful. And we've had various initiatives announced by his successors, including President Trump, President Biden. But we don't really put any effort behind it. And so, of course, the region looks at us and say, well, if you're not going to meet our needs, we're going to turn elsewhere. And that's exactly what's happened. So China is at a point where it can jeopardize us in the region in which we exist. So what needs to be done to counterbalance this? There are so many different things. Um, but just to give you one example, um, in the headlines, we have the story about Central Americans um, moving up through Mexico and crossing our border at will. Um, the reason why they're doing that is because their societies have been destabilized by the movement of factories from Central America to China. Um, what we can do with the, our free trade agreement with the region CAFTA uh, DRFTA, as it's called, is encourage factories to move to Central America. That will stabilize those societies, and then people will not be coming up to our border. And by the way, that's great for the environment because uh, you pour less carbon into the air transporting stuff. Uh, companies get cheaper labor costs. And by the way, we're not vulnerable to a hostile China that considers us to be an enemy. So it's a win-win-win-win all over the place. I would think that's something we ought to be pursuing ASAP to do that, because especially when you think of how vulnerable we were uh, to China during the last uh, pandemic. I mean, we're, if we don't do something to correct that, we could find ourselves in the same position again. Yes. I mean, in the first months of the pandemic, um, in I think it was March 2020, 
Beijing threatened to throw us into what it called, quote, a mighty sea of coronavirus. And by the way, it actually turned around ships on the high seas carrying personal protective equipment to New York hospitals because it wanted it for itself. It actually nationalized an American N95 mask uh, factory. So really what we're talking about is protecting ourselves. We've known about our vulnerability to China and pharmaceuticals for a long time. We haven't done anything about it. This really is on us, Tony. Well, it was interesting. Earlier this week, I had former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo uh, on the program talking about his new book, Never Give an Inch. And in that book, he actually talked about how uh, President Trump, who, you know, certainly was no weakling when it came to to China, actually told uh, Mike to, to kind of tone it down when it came to the Wuhan virus and its origins because of the threats from China to redirect and cancel uh, our ability to get that important personal protection equipment. Yes, and, and um, really what we need to do, I mean, you know, you know Trump in his last months uh, tried to um, establish this loan to Eastman Kodak, $750 million to make active pharmaceutical ingredients in the United States, but the plan was misconceived. And it should have been something that Trump did at the beginning of his presidency rather than at the end. You know, I understand why Trump tried to sort of soft pedal China, but every time we've done that, we've done that for decades and decades, it's just not worked out because China doesn't want to be integrated into the international system. It doesn't want to work with us. It wants to destroy our society, wants to take down our government. We got to understand the maliciousness of the Chinese regime and start defending ourselves because this is our country. Yeah. I mean, we got to, we got to take it at face value. They say that's what they want to do. That's what they're doing. That's what their goal, that's what their goals are. And so we just need to respond accordingly. Now, I, I want to bring it a little closer to home. You know, the FBI is now monitoring Chinese police outposts in the United States. I mean, the Chinese police have post, they have outposts here in the United States monitoring their people, act, actively engaged. I mean, I think this is something we should be extremely concerned about. Yes, um, and there's two things here. Of course, the police are uh, the Chinese are violating our sovereignty by having police operations, having consular operations at these police stations. But the issue is, why did the Chinese think that they could actually establish them? Well, the answer to that is because for decades we allowed China's diplomats and Ministry of State Security agents to perform these same functions, and we knew about it, and we didn't do anything about it. Matter of fact. We actually let go Chinese agents who were um, committing crimes on our soil. So, of course, the Chinese thought that they could do this. So this is an issue of American feebleness. It's an issue of American presidents not defending ourselves. And so, yeah, the Chinese are villains, but we let them be villains. As I said, this is our country. They have worked their way into so many uh, aspects of American society, business, higher education, um, what's it going to take to rein in China and exercise that American strength, that American first policy uh, perspective that is going to be needed to contain them? I hope that it would be Americans, uh, American elites listening to ordinary Americans. But um, if I'm not right, then it's going to probably take the death of Amer deaths of more Americans to do this. You know, uh, a terrorist killed six Americans in February 1993 when they detonated bo a bomb below the North Tower of the World Trade Center. 
And, and we Americans, we just couldn't care less about that. It was only until 9-11 when Osama bin Laden killed 2,977 Americans that we paid attention. So I'm afraid that that's the horrific answer to your question. But I hope that through talking about these things and through your discussing it and, and using your platform, that we can prevent that, that we can move before any more Americans die. Are you seeing, final question for you, Gordon Chang, are you seeing any movement with, there is a lot of dialogue, a lot of discussion, a lot of exposure of uh, the Chinese connections, political class on both sides of the aisle, very much connected to China. Do you see movement that would encourage you? Well, we have the establishment of the House Select Committee on China, which um, received the uh, votes, uh, favorable votes of all but 65 in the House. So although that's not a consensus, it's getting close to a consensus. We don't have the consensus on what to do. And that is, I hope that Representative Mike Gallagher, who's chairing the Select Committee, will be able to develop. But, you know, the issue here, Tony, is time. Yeah. Um, because yeah. we don't have very much left of it. And yeah. we have a White House and a Pentagon that has virtually no sense of urgency. Gordon Chang, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Well, thank you, Tony. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Gordon Chang, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Yeah, I, I tell you, this is, this is another issue, and I know it's not one that a lot of people care about, about foreign policy issues, but this is an important one. It really is. And we're going to continue to talk about China because they're influencing the world with their repressive policies. All right. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found at Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.